Father, the entrance of your word brings light. Father, it is you who is able to shed light, not us. It is your word. It was inspired by your Holy Spirit. Father, you said all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So that a man of God and every one of us over here in that category may be thoroughly equipped and complete for every good work. That is the end, O Lord, of studying and meditating upon your scriptures. And that is the reason why we come to subject ourselves, O Lord Father, to the ministry of your word. And Father, you said, you supply the Holy Spirit to all of us who receive the word by faith. And this morning, Father, even as we meditate upon your word, anoint us to be able to speak your word. Father, whatever is of God, let it stand. Let whatever is of man, let it fall. And grant us faith, O Lord, to be able to receive your word, O Lord. And grant us the filling of the Holy Spirit, even as we receive the word by faith. And grant us the power to change our lives and also to obey what you have for us in this last hour of time. To that end, I pray that you would anoint the speaking and the hearing of this word. Commit commit ourselves to your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Today is October the 28th, 2018. Uh, obviously, and within another three days, that is on the 31st of October, uh, 2018, we'll be celebrating 501 years of uh, the Reformation. Uh, 31st night, of course, is a Wednesday. Last time, 31st night was a Tuesday, and we were doing Romans Bible study at the Tuesday Bible study, and we were celebrating uh, Reformation Day on the Tuesday Bible study. This time it will be on a Wednesday, um, 31st, and Pastor James will be preaching the word. So come prepared. And seven days after that, something remarkable happened. On the 7th of November, I was born. Okay, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, so everybody's looking at what, <laughs> nothing historical, okay? Uh, Alright, so this morning, even as we are here, you know, uh, the reason why I'm saying that is, the Reformation Day was so significant. You know, one Catholic priest studied the scriptures, teaching the scriptures, was a seminary student, professor of the New Testament. Unsaved. Was not sure about his salvation. Was burdened on his conscience. There was a tremendous, even as he was reading the scriptures, they asked him, Luther, do you love God? And he said, love him? I hate this God. You know why he said that? Do you see what he demands? Who can stand in his presence? Holy and blameless. But that man... When he was reading these two verses, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, it says, 
For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is this was Martin Luther. He was reading this and he was banging his desk, fighting the word, wrestling with the scriptures, trying to think through. Yesterday I was talking to Pastor James, and if you uh, saw a couple of days back, he was sending he sent a, a meditation, a devotion, which is talking about how the persecuted church reads the scripture, how they interpret scripture. You need to understand what we have as a revelation in, in the Bible was not written by people who are PhDs from theological seminaries. They didn't say, class, come on, let us do a class in hermeneutics. Old Testament survey and upper, test, upper criticism or lower criticism, nothing like that happened. And Paul writes one of his incredible epistles called the epistle to the Galatians where he is so livid with the fact that there were false teachers who crept into the church and he's polemical in his, in his, his, in his, in his, in his writing and he's arguing with them and he is, he's defending his apostleship. He's pouring out his heart. At the end of the epistles, he, he says, you know, says, I bear on the, on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let no man trouble me. Leave me alone. That is those, these, those are the people who wrote the Bible. The Bible came to us. Reformation happened because people were willing to stake their lives for the truth. And when, and you remember Martin Luther's incredible, um, confrontation with the religious, uh, eldership of those days. They said, Luther recant. Remember that? And he said, no. I mean, he, of course he said, give me 24 hours time. And that night he was wrestling because he was just like a man, a man just like us. And then he comes back and he says, my conscience is a prisoner to the word of God. How can I recant? How can I recant? That is how reformation happened. People spilt their blood so that we could be reformed. Never forget that when we read the scriptures. And therefore it says, for Paul tells the, uh, the Roman church when he's writing this epistle, he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. It is not a message, it's not an idea, it's not a theory, it's not even a philosophy, it's not a way of life, it is the power of God. That is a remarkable thing. That is how he introduces the gospel. That means it has the power to 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 um, galvanize us into a different realm altogether. To translate us, it says, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His Son. That is the power of the gospel. It is a power of gospel to what and to salvation. Is it to, is it for everybody? No, no, no. It is only for those who believe. So this morning, even, even as you are here in the house of the Lord, let not your heart be hardened because of unbelief. Ask God for a tender heart, a tender conscience. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. So even as we study the gospel, what is the gospel? And, and we know gospel is the gospel of Christ. It's a gospel of, the, of grace. It's a gospel of God. It's the gospel of the kingdom. Several um, adjectives uh, are there to describe what the gospel is. And of course gospel is good news. Okay. Gospel is not the Sermon on the Mount. Gospel is Christ crucified for our sins so that we can keep the Sermon on the Mount. 
So you need to understand this is this is the power of God. So come and, it, and Thessalonians will say, Paul tells the Thessalonian church, he says, the word of God has got power to work in those who believe. So this morning, fasten your seatbelts. I've never read my scripture like this. This is possibly one of the most toughest message, messages I prepared for myself, wrestling with this through several days now. This, the, like we hear, no, um, gospel has some effects. What does the gospel cause in our lives? It's given very Precisely and concisely in uh, two verses in the Acts of the Apostles where Paul is giving his defense to Agrippa and Festus. Okay, this is uh, Acts chapter 26 verses 17 to 18 and we'll look at what uh, the effects of the gospel are, the five dimensions are, not the effects essentially, how do we um, perceive the gospel? What What is it in its totality? Okay, let's see. Acts chapter 26 verses 17 to 18. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, that is your own people, as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. There are five dimensions to the gospel that are mentioned in these two verses. Five dimensions. Look at, let us look at those five dimensions. First, what does the gospel do? The power of the gospel opens our eyes. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now, I mean, once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, the burden of my heart was rolled away. It was there by faith, I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the way. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused the quickening ray. I woke the dungeon filled with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Opens the eyes. It Paul tells the Galatians, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your what? Very eyes, Christ Jesus was portrayed as crucified. Eyes are open to our sin. There is conviction that happens in our lives. Conviction, the opening of our eyes. That we will see what we really are in the light of God's holiness. Opening of the eyes. Sin, to turn us from darkness to light. Until our eyes are opened, we don't know. Don't even know that we are in darkness. The moment our eyes are open, we know. We are ignorant. What is darkness? Ignorant. We don't even know where we are going. In fact, we are going to eternal to eternity without God to hell. It's darkness. We don't even know where we're going and suddenly eyes are opened and we look at our path. Where am I heading? Heading towards hell. A.W. Tozer says, I just can't understand how people can be happy and be entertained on their way to hell. That is Tozer's statement. He says, "How how is it that people just go and watch movies and a comedy play and they're laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing and they come out and discuss the play, they discuss the uh, the different scenes and they say, oh, you know, this actor did this, this actor did that. They're happy, happy, happy people, happy all the way to hell. 
So you're dark, ignorant of where you're going. So what does the gospel do? It opens the eyes. It turns us from darkness to light. And then it does the third thing. It translates us from the authority and the dominion of Satan to the authority and the dominion of Christ. There are two ways to receive power. One way to receive power is the power of the Holy Spirit through the cross by faith. The other way to receive power is the power from the demonic realm where you don't have to do anything. Just give them $10 and they will do a hex on you. That's exactly what is happening on the, on the 20th of October that they did, they did a hex. Several hundreds of witches from all over US came to, 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 uh, to New York City and they said $10 is a ticket. We're all doing witchcraft for Kavanaugh and Trump. You're putting a hex on him. It's open. You need to understand the lines have been clearly drawn in the United States. We thought that spirituality was hush, hush. It's right now in the open. People practicing witchcraft in the open, uh, advertising it in national television, in the news, saying that please pay $10. We will, that will go for planned parenthood to murder innocent children in their wombs. That is what is happening. And that is the reason why we need to pray. We are not, we are not living in, in, in times where we can just sit and relax and just observe a generation being taken, being made captive in their minds, blinded by the power of this age. Mm. Translated from the authority of dominion of Satan to the dominion of God, that they, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, that their conscience will be made clear. You know, remember the guy who was, uh, who was brought, brought in by those friends, a paralytic? And uh, their, their friends break the roof and they send him down. And Jesus looks at him and he looks and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And they were all stunned. They said, who is this man who forgives sin? And he asks them a question. Tell me, tell me, which is easy to, which, which is easy to say. Sons, that your sins are forgiven or pick up your mat and walk. What is the answer? Sins are forgiven. Because it's not easy to forgive sins. You know why? Because it took the death of the very son of God to by us a redemption so that the wrath of God could be consumed on the cross. That they may receive forgiveness of sins, that we can, that we can have a clear conscience with God. Oh, the blessedness of a clear conscience. Fifth one, that we may receive an inheritance among those who are being sanctified by faith, being continuously set apart. So there are five dimensions to the gospel. There's an op- continuous opening of the eyes. There's a continuous turning from darkness to light. There's a continuous translation from the authority of Satan and the dominion of Satan to the dom- dominion of God. There's a continuing, continual reception of receiving of the forgiveness of sins. And there's a continual cleansing and separation, increased holiness and separation. Holiness is a fruit, my dear brothers and sisters. It does not happen. You sow in the spirit so that you can reap a spirit of a fruit of holiness. You just don't become holy one day. Holiness doesn't happen to you. That is an inheritance. Five dimensions. And this is found in the book of Acts. Uh, uh, chapter 26, 18, 17 and 18. One of the ways to understand the effects of the gospel is to look at examples as to how the message impacted people's lives. 
Okay, and if you look at the context in which this particular message is, I mean, this particular uh, verse is positioned, you will see that Paul, um, he was in his final missionary journey. He collects money from all the Gentile churches, and he's coming back to Jerusalem. He's brought back to Jerusalem. Now he wants to meet the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. So what do they do? He gets the collection. He wants to give the bless the Jerusalem church. Uh, he gets the collection to the church, and they say, you know what? Uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding that you are. Uh, Telling people that you should not obey the law of Moses. Why don't you just go to the temple and cleanse yourself? So what does Paul do? So he goes to the temple, cleansing himself. People catch hold of him. All the Jewish people who hated him, they catch him and they bring him to the Sanhedrin. And then he begins to give his defense. Five defenses of Saul. Or the Paul. Five defenses. Five defenses of Paul. And... In, I mean, we, we read Acts in the, in the form of chapters, but it's a letter. Okay, you need to understand, every uh, book of the Bible is a love letter from God. And this was written to Theophilus by Dr. Luke. Thank God for doctors in the body of Christ. We have Dr. Richard, we have Dr. David. Uh, and I am not doctor, by the way, still. I'm only doctorate. Okay? There's a lot of difference. So they say, why don't you put your name before, uh, as doctor in your uh, application form? I said, if I'm flying, and suddenly something suddenly happens, and they will say, who's the doctor on board? Then they'll come to me. They'll be confused. I, I say, mister, that is enough. Okay? So anyway, so Dr. Luke records a candid record of Paul's defense. Paul gives five defense. He gives his testimony to at five times. First, he gives it before the Jewish crowd. Second, he gives it to the high priest. Third, he gives it to Felix. I think just before Felix, somebody else. Uh, Thrice, if I'm right. I'm not sure exactly. And then uh, once he gives to Felix. And finally, he gives it to Festus, Agrippa, and Bernus. The Holy Spirit records these five testimonies of Paul. And within these five testimonies, this particular verse comes. So these five people, even as you center, I mean, if you, if you study these characters, you know, one of the things that you need to do, every movie maker, you know what he does? When he's writing a plot, he's creating characters, right? What he does in every character, he creates a background story. I was I was I was listening to uh, an interview by a very famous uh, director. I don't want to name the name. Uh, so, director and an actor who acted in that particular movie, and uh, and he this guy was asking him this question. You know this director? He said, Yeah, I know this director. And you know this particular part that you played? He said, Yeah, I enjoyed playing that part. You need to say in in that in that movie. I mean this. Very, I don't want to name the name movie. Uh, in that movie, this guy is the is a is a, is a uh, brother of a girl, a beautiful girl in a village. Okay, so they don't have parents. So this guy is brought up by his sister. Brought up by his sister. So his sister grows up into a very beautiful young lady. From the next village, there's a young man who comes. Okay, and who's this girl? And they get married. Now, this young boy, all that he has was the sister. Now, sister is going to go to Sasural. Okay. 
So she's going off to Sasural and she, this fellow, he's going to miss his sister. So what does, what does the sister do? Takes the, takes his, takes her brother, goes to the nearest relative and says, you please keep this fellow. Please watch over him. I'll come back time to time to uh, look, look, look after this guy. Uh, so that guy says, okay. But this fellow, he is going to miss his sister a lot. So what does he do? The night that they're going to go off to Sasural, he sneaks into the car, gets into the trunk and sleeps off. And what happens? They take this, this chap also to the village and they reach the home. The girl reaches her in-law's home and she opens the trunk and the, and his, her husband is just next to her. This fellow comes out and hugs the sister and says, please don't leave me. And the brother, I mean, the husband looks at this and says, oh my God, this guy loves the sister so much. I'm going to take care of this guy. I'm going to treat him as my own. So what happens? There is a, a beautiful relationship that happens between the two. Okay? The, the director gives a background story and he says the movie starts from here. Every character in the movie has a background story. Okay? Every character in the Bible has a background story. The closest, I mean, I read Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you read Pilgrim's Progress? Oh, one of the best reads that you can do in your entire life. If you haven't read, shame on you. Plus, okay, you can cover your shame by reading it later on. Okay? So you can see several characters in the book Pilgrim's Progress. Every character has a background story. They all bring a baggage and that is how the story is weaved. Now look at every drama in the Bible and look at every character. Every character has a background story. And in this character, we will have five characters in this particular story uh, where in this particular mis- uh, 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 verses are mentioned, there are five characters and I want to look at them carefully to understand in that light what these verses mean. Okay, so let us look at Acts chapter 25. Paul argued in his defense neither against the law of Jews nor against the temple nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to uh, uh, wishing to do Jews a favor, said to Paul, "Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But there is nothing to their charge against me, and no one can uh, take me to Caesar. I uh, take me up there. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered to Caesar, "You have appealed to Caesar. You will go." Uh, now when the, some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation for, against him. So I'm going to introduce the characters. There are five characters in the entire drama. Five characters and let us observe them one by one. Okay? Let us look at characters. First character, guess. First character, Paul. Well, Jesus is not there. Jesus is up there, up there in, the, in the story. Paul. Second bunch of characters, the religious class, the Jews. Third, Felix, the governor. Four, Festus, the governor. Fifth, Agrippa and Bernice. Have you seen this, madam, over there? Agrippa and Bernice. Do you know of any friend named Bernice? After today, 
you will never name your child Bernus. Okay? <laughs> okay, let's see. Let's see these characters. One by one. First, I call him the procrastinator. Felix, the procrastinator. Look at this guy and see what he's does, what he's doing. Acts chapter 24, he's introduced. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, oh no, you know, they brought uh, a lot of charge against Paul and this man, I mean, Paul is appealing to Felix and this man had a more accurate knowledge of the way. Those days, Christians were called people of the way. That is the reason why Jesus said, I am what? The way, the truth and the life. So those days, the children of God, I mean, the Christians were called the people of the way. Okay. So more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceeding and said, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. I have more accurate knowledge, but I will make a decision at a Later stage. Observe that. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. Who is this Felix? And why does he not believe? Is a question. He's got more accurate knowledge than many of those people over there. Who is this Felix? This is a character who says, I need more information to make a decision. These are the kinds of people who are always learning, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 7, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. They want more and more and more and more of truth. They're not satisfied. This, this, uh, this proof, okay, okay, uh, some more please. This proof, okay, okay, uh, I still can't make a decision. Some more please. More convincing proof, ah, no, 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 uh, I still need some more. Need some more time, some more time. John's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 17. You see, you need to make a decision. Whenever you hear the word of God, you want more information, more light, you will be given more light only if you obey first. John's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 17. Look at what this, 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 this verse says. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you ah do them. The blessing is in the doing, not in the hearing. You see, that is exactly what Felix's problem is. He wants more and more and more and more information, but he will never do. Okay? Look at what James chapter 1 verses 20 to 25 will say. But he who does the word of God, or but be doers of the word of God, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of a man he was. And James continues to say, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Okay, you should be a doer. What does Felix say? I need more information, more information, more information. How many of you read this book, uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus? Anybody read this book? Can you just raise your hands, please? Okay, very few readers of uh, Nabil Qureshi's testimony. This is what Nabil Qureshi's testimony is, okay? This guy had a friend called David. In his, in his book, he writes about David Wood. They used to have arguments and arguments and arguments. He was so sure that Christianity was false and Islam was the right way. 
and David presented arguments after arguments and one day he was completely sure that there is something convincing about Christianity but he was also sure that Islam is also the right way. He was absolutely sure. And the same methods of of uh, what do you call testing that he applied to Islam and it was failing left, right and center. And he was putting away the decision, putting away the decision and his friend David said, I don't think this fellow is ever going to come back, come to Christianity and he just left it at that. And one day he has a dream. And this is recorded in his book. Look at what it says in the dream. Okay, look at this is Nabil Qureshi in his book. Uh, uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. In this room, in this dream, he sees a room. It leads into a room where many people are sitting at tables that have fancy and good food on them. I think I remember salads, but I'm not sure. <laughs> they were not eating, but they were all ready to eat. And they're all looking to my left as if waiting for a speaker before the banquet. One of the people at the other side of the door, just inside the room, is David Wood. That's his friend, who gave him all the arguments. I was unable to walk into the room because David is occupying the other threshold of the doorway. He's sitting at a table and is also looking to my left. So he's not looking at him, he's looking to his left. I mean, away from him rather. Then he asked David in the dream. I asked him, I thought we were going to eat together. And he said, without removing his eyes from the front of the room, you never responded. And he gets up. And that starts off the cascade events, cascade of events that which leads to his conversion. You, you should read that book. I'm not going to uh, kill the suspense for you. It's one of possibly one of the best testimonies I've read in, in recent times. A virtual page turner. You got, you, I mean, it's one, those books like uh, The Death of a Guru. How many of you read that book, Death of a Guru? And then, and that's as good as this. Oh, I mean, this is possibly better than that, than The Death of the Guru. What are these people? What are Felix kind of a people? They need more proof. They need what? More proof. No, uh, Tim Keller in one of his sermons st- talks about a pastor who is a very wise pastor who mentors a young man in his congregation. This young man, he comes to his church and he falls in love with the Lord and uh, he is mentoring him for a, for a period of time. After a few days, this young man gets a admission in the university and he goes away. Like many of our children from Grace Home, they have been with us for almost 11 years. And eventually they will move out, they will go to a different university and he's gone to another university and after six months for his vacation he comes back to his church and the pastor looks at him and he's he's observing him and he looks at him and he says, this guy had a lot of fire when six months before, what happened to him? His zeal is gone, everything is gone and he looked at him and he said, "Uh, what happened to you? Uh... And he looked at his pastor and he said, you know what, I took a course in the university on uh, on religion. And they started criticizing Christianity. And I'm confused. I'm not so sure if my decision is right. I need more proof. This pastor was an incredibly wise pastor. You know, he looked at this kid and he looked at him. You want more proof? I mean... He was saying, I need more proof. I don't know if uh, resurrection is true. I don't know if Jesus is true. I don't know if he died for my sin. What is all this? I'm still, I'm still searching. I still need proof. And the, and the pastor looked at him and he said, whom are you sleeping with? Who's your girlfriend? He got a shock of his life. 
He said, how do you know? I know. You don't want God to be true because you want to justify your lifestyle. Oh, I need more proof. Why do you need more proof? Because you want to sleep around. Tim Keller, I'm telling you, he's possibly one of the most, he's the modern day C.S. Lewis, okay? He was, in one of his sermons, he talks about going to a bookstore, a local bookstore, normal bookstore in the United States in New York. And in that bookstore in US and Canada, if you go to Barnes and Noble or, uh, you know, those famous bookstores, those franchises, you will find all kinds of book, everything under the sun you'll find there. Okay. So there's one section called theology section. So he goes to the theology section and he looks at all the modern day theologians and he says, you know what, when I observed those theology section, I found out that old Puritan theologians like Martin Luther is not there. All these old theologians, they're not there. All modern day theologians came and, you know, when you read their books, there's hardly any depth there. Then he goes to another section called spirituality section. And when he goes to the spirituality section, he finds that you have old Puritan uh, spiritual spirituality, uh, what do you say, you know, imitation with Christ and uh, gain how to have a, a communion communion with the God, how to be spiritually connected with God, etc., etc., etc. And he looked at those two sections and he said, it's very interesting that people in this generation, they want intimacy without commitment. It's like, you know what, it's like telling a girl, I want to sleep with you, but I don't want to marry you. They want intimacy without commitment. That's exactly true of our generation. I was stunned. You know what, he's able to look at a local bookstore and come to a conclusion like that. You know what? People don't want to have proof. Why, why, why they need more and more proof? Because they want to justify their lifestyle. Because once they know that Jesus is true, then they are accountable for their sin. They need more proof, more proof, more proof, more proof. Look at this guy in Luke's Gospel chapter 16. You remember the story of Lazarus and the, and the rich guy who's in, the, who's in hell. And the rich guy says, please send Lazarus. Look at what it says. Luke's Gospel chapter 16. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him, that is Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let him, let them hear them. And he said, no father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. You see that? That is Felix. What is Felix? I need more proof. I need more proof. I need more proof. Why? Because he wants to justify his lifestyle. Um, there are a lot of young people even here. Uh, in your heart you come to church and you are living a double life and you will say, you know what? I need more proof. I don't know if Christianity is true. You know why? Because you don't want it to be true. That is the reason. Because the moment Christianity is true, then you are answerable, then you are accountable to God. Look at another character of characteristic of Felix. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, she sent for Paul, and he heard him concerning the faith in Christ. 
Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have you, when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. You know, Paul preached the gospel to him straight up. You know what he said? Gospel. God's demand. What is it? Absolute righteousness. Your problem, lack of self-control. But that means you sin. What is your end? God's wrath and eternal judgment. Escape route, surrender to Jesus. Finished. Katte kote, teche. What is your problem? What is God's requirement? Absolute righteousness. What is your problem? Lack of self-control. What is your end? Eternal death. What is your escape route? Surrender to Jesus. What is what does this fellow do? Start trembling. Why does he tremble? Look at what it says in John's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 8 to 11. When he, that is the Holy Spirit, when he, when, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. You know, uh, if you look at uh, John's Gospel chapter 6, Jesus says, I will raise him up in the last day. I will raise him up in the last day. I will raise him up in the last day. He uses, he uses how many times? Three times. What does it mean? That there is a last day. Simple. All days are going to be over, Baba. There is one last day. There is your last day or there is the last day. We were just coming from our home to church. Right at the intersection there was an accident. Spot death. Right in the morning. 8, 8.30 in the morning. 8.45 in the morning. Near our home. Military, near, military dairy farm road. Gone. It is appointed a man to die once and then what? Judgment. There is a last day. For all of us. Clock is ticking. You are one day closer to judgment or death after today is gone. That is the reason why the psalmist says, you know what he says, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. There is a last day. So what happens to Felix? When he reasoned about righteousness, about temperance and about judgment to come, Felix was afraid and he asked for a convenient time. What is, what is this? What is he afraid of? That's a question. What is he afraid of? He's not afraid of judgment. No, 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 no. You know what is he afraid of? He's afraid of surrender. That is what he's afraid of. I know. In our, even in our own church, so many people are afraid of surrender. What you want is, you want to fear your God, also want to worship your own idols. You fear God, but you also worship your own idols. Look at what it says in Second uh, Corinthians, Second Kings, chapter seventeen, verse thirty-three. So they fear the Lord, but also serve their own idols, after the manner of the nations from among whom. They had been carried away. Fear of absolute total surrender to God's righteousness. What do you want? You want yourself. You want your righteousness. You want Christ's righteousness. And you also want your righteousness. You want Christ. You also want another righteousness to complete yourself. You want Christ. You want a relationship. You want Christ. You want a career. You want Christ. You want something. You don't want surrender. You are scared of absolute surrender. 
see that? Some of you are looking at me like that. It's true. If God will not have you all, he will have nothing of you at all. Look at what it says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Look at you know what he's saying? You know what he's saying? There are two righteousness. There is a righteousness where you are completely dependent upon God. And then there is a righteousness where you depended upon God and also depended upon yourself to feel complete. You want Christ and you also want the approval of your husband. You want Christ, you also want the approval of your children. You want Christ, you also want the approval of your boss. You want Christ, you want to have the approval of your peers. Christ alone is not sufficient. Christ plus something. He is, if Either Christ is all your righteousness or Christ is not your righteousness. Something else is your righteousness. So many people in the church. Look at what it says in Galatians chapter 5 verses 5 to 6. For we through the spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails for anything but by but faith working through love. What is he telling us? He's saying there is only one righteousness which will stand that day and that is the righteousness which Christ gives you. Any other way that you try to fill yourself is not Christ's righteousness. It is your righteousness and that righteousness will not, not stand on the final day. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 10 about the Jewish people. Verses 3 and 4. For being ignorant of righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not what? They did not what? Submit to God's righteousness. They want their own righteousness. What does it mean? What does it mean? A lot of people are, why do they not surrender completely? Because they are afraid of failure. They believe God and they are still hoping that there is something inside of themselves that can substitute and complete them. I don't want to surrender completely. What if I fail? In other words, you are looking for yourself, your resources as your savior. Your inbuilt natural strength is your savior, not Jesus. Why don't you leave this Bible study? Oh, I'm not perfect. Why don't you lead this ministry? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm still not perfect. How can I? Uh, uh, uh. You, know, you know what? There, is, there, is, there could be some truth there. I'm not saying that new people have to lead a ministry. They have been in church for quite some time. And once some responsibility is given, they say, what if I fail? What if I fail? You know what? You're still looking for resources within yourself to finish your righteousness. Christ is not complete for you. There's a, there's a, there's a group called DC Talk. In the flash of rare flash of brilliance, I would say, they wrote one interesting song, which was my favorite those days. The title of the song was What If I Stumble? Look at what they say. <laughs> I love it. Everybody can read yourself into these lyrics. DC talk. What if I stumble? What if I stumble? What if I fall? What if I lose my step and I make fools of us all? 
Will the love continue when my walk becomes a crawl? What if I stumble? What if I fall? Now tell me, what is the problem with this song? I. I stumble. I fall. I lose my step. My walk. I stumble. I fall. Oh, what if I fall? What if I fall? What if I fall? You will fall. A righteous man who trusts in God's righteousness will fall seven times. You know what? You don't want to surrender completely because you know that within yourself, you don't have the resources to fulfill God's righteousness. But you are still hoping, maybe I will work something more. Maybe I'll clean my life a little more. Maybe I'll just do this and that and this and that so that I can clean myself. And then I will say, you know what? Now I am sufficiently equipped for the ministry. Sorry, you will be never equipped for the ministry. Never. You know what? You're a fool if you think like that. I stumble. I fall. I lose my step. I don't want to look like a fool. You know what? Paul says, I'm a fool for the sake of Christ. I lost all my dignity. It's gone. There's no dignity with Christ. I have become all things to all people so that at least I can save some, save some. That is exactly what Paul tells the Galatian church. Galatians, I being a Jew who will never in my original state fellowship with you, I became like you so that you can become like me. You know why? Because Christ became like me so that I can become like Christ. Come on. Come on. Come on. And you're afraid of failure? You're afraid of failure? I thank God for failure. I have become, I, I became more embarrassed in the ministry than in when I was in my class. You know why? Because I was thinking, like Derek Prince said, you know, I thought God is extremely privileged to have me in the ministry. That's what he thought. Oh, I was top of my class. I know Hebrew. I know Greek. I know the New Testament, left, right and center. Ah, what a privilege for God to have me. Of course he calls me. Nonsense. That is the reason why he says, see your calling brethren, see your calling, see your calling. Not many wise, not many noble, not many mighty. God has chosen the foolish things of this world. Foolish. Are you willing to be a fool? Only those fools who are willing to be fools will only trust Christ. Nobody else. They still want to supplement. They still are looking within themselves and see what good is in them so that they can help God. I want to help you, God. You know what God says? I don't need anybody's help, first of all. First of all, he says, if you help me, it's a big problem. Get out of the way. That's what he tells many people. Get out of the way. Don't hinder my work. You become a stumbling block. That's what he told Paul. Saul, who was Saul. Saul! Why are you working against me? In all his zeal, he was thinking that he was working for God. And God was telling, please get out of the way. Please. I don't need your help. See? 
What if I stumble? What if I fall? That's what Galatians, you know, Paul tells the Galatians. He says, he calls them foolish. Look at, look at what he says, Galatians chapter 3 verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, now you are wanting to be made perfect in the flesh. Ah, think about it, no? Just imagine, just imagine. If pastor or somebody would call you, why don't you lead this uh, ministry in the church? Oh, no, 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 no. No, I am not equipped. I'll make a fool of, of myself. You know what? God will make you a fool in something else and bring you here. That is the reason why Paul tells in Philippians chapter 3 verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have, say that again, no confidence in the flesh. Ikkada empty, ikkada empty, ikkada empty. Nothing. Go with the, with the hymn writer. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. cling like the Mallus will say, simply cling to the cross. Okay. Don't try to become perfect. And then come and serve God. You will never come and serve God. Okay. Felix had another problem. Meanwhile, also he hoped for money. (laughs) Felix wanted to do Jews a favor. You see, he had another idol in his heart. He was fearful of letting go of his positions of authority. Okay. Let's look at the next character. He's called Festus the Rationalist. Okay, let us look at this guy. Very interesting character. Acts chapter 25. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in this in his case of such evil as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who, de- who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive, being at a loss. How to investigate these questions I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there. There was a certain Jesus who was dead, asserted to be alive, being at a loss. You know, I'll tell you something. You know what this what this man Festus believed? And many of us believe, even in, even in the church. There are certain dead areas in your life. Dead. Absolutely dead. You've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and that area you can do anything. It's as good as dead. There's no life flowing at all in that. And somebody comes and says, you know, Jesus can raise things from the dead. You're at loss. There are no categories in your mind to grasp that. How can something dead come to life? Come to life. Somebody came and told Sarah, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. By this time next year, I will visit you and Sarah will have a baby in their heart. She didn't say like that, okay? Jesus said, why did you laugh? Oh, I didn't laugh. Once your baby comes, you will only laugh. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 4 about Abraham. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. And so what happened? He did not weaken in faith 
when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness or the deadness of Sarah's womb. The question, are you at a loss today? Are you at a loss? There are dead areas in your life and you're saying, Lord, this is dead. Uh, I've tried with my father over and over again. He's never going to be saved. He's dead. He's gone. Can't be revived. I tried with this relationship. It's not going to work. Marriage, dead. Jesus revives marriage. What are you talking about? Do you know my husband? You don't know my husband. And the husband will go and tell his friend, marriage is dead. Are God can revive. Do you know my wife? <laughs> Both are speaking only unbelief. Absolutely not possible. There are People like Festus in our church also who are looking at their circumstances, looking at their realities and they're saying, Lord, this is dead. And they're at a loss. This can be revived. Impossible. Impossible, Lord. Impossible. I remember that, uh, remember the two blind men, right? Two blind men. And Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do for you? And what did they say? What did they say? We want to receive our sight. And what did Jesus say? According to your faith, let it be unto you. Think about it, no? Think about it. This was Zach Ponen once, once, some, some time back. He said, you know, think about it. Let us say Jesus called them separately into the room. Come here. Number, number one blind man went. What do you want? I want my sight. According to your faith, be it unto you. And that fellow said, Jesus is able to give sight for both eyes. He gets his sight and he goes out. In the, from the back door, he invites the next fellow. What do you want? I want to see. According to your faith, be it unto you. Left eye completely damaged. Right eye okay. I think I can only see in one eye. Tongue, one eye is open. So he goes out. And he says, one, he goes and says, you know, Jesus can, one guy goes and says, Jesus healed both eyes. The other guy says, Jesus can heal only one eye. So they start off church of two eyes, church of one eye. That's exactly what has happened to many churches. Only one eye. Miracles are over. Church of one eye. <laughs> you see? Dead. It's impossible. According to your faith, be it unto you. You know, there is in, in, in Hindu mythology, there is a, a saying called Tadastu Devataru. Tadastu. Finished. Exactly what you said, that's exactly what will happen. See? Dead areas. It's impossible, Lord. That is Festus. Nothing. You see the circumstances impossible for us to have any breakthrough. No way, Lord. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were nature children of wrath like the rest, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You know what you say? Lord, it is impossible. By this time we stink. You need to look at the answer that Festus gives after Paul's defense. Look at this answer. He's, he's, it is impossible for him to believe that God can bring something back to life. Look at what he says. That the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, this is Paul saying, he would proclaim light to both our people and, and to the Gentiles. You know what Festus says? 
And as he was saying these things with his, in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are going out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind. Most excellent Festus. But I'm speaking true and rational words. What is this fellow's problem? What is this fellow's problem? Why is he saying, Festus, Paul, you're mad. Much learning has made you mad. I think this is the only guy, like uh, I think John MacArthur says this. He says, this is the only guy who thought more education makes people more mad. Look at what, look at what actually is going on over here. This, I'm going to show you a verse from the Old Testament. Hosea chapter 9 verse 7. Look at what it says. The days of punishment have come. The days of recompense have come. Israel knows the prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is insane because of the greatness of your iniquity and great enmity. You didn't get it. Let me show you another translation. This is the New Living Translation. The time of Israel punishment has come. The day of, the day of payment is here. Soon Israel will know that is this all too well. Because of your great sin and hostility, you say, the prophets are crazy and the inspired men are why? Because of your iniquity. Because of your great sin. You know why? You don't want to accept because you have to confess your great sin. The sin in your heart. That is Festus. We look at another two characters. Agrippa and Bernice. Why does it not just say Agrippa? Why Agrippa and Bernice? And if you look at the entire scripture... Agrippa and Bernice are mentioned three times. Let us look at it, okay? Those three times. Acts chapter 25 verses 13 to 14. And after some days, King Agrippa, read that, and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet, to greet Festus. Acts chapter 25 verse 23. So that, so the next day when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium. Acts 26 verses 30 to 31. When he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice. The question is, who is this Bernice, Baba? Anybody wants to know? Harry Ironside is a famous commentator. Look at what he says about Bernice. Who was Bernice? She was the sister of Agrippa. And lived in an incestuous relationship with her own brother. God recognized the seriousness of their sin. The wickedness of their life. She is attached to Agrippa. And when his name is mentioned, God adds and Bernice. If Agrippa died unsaved, we may be sure God links Bernice with him still. And when Agrippa stands eventually at the judgment of the great white throne, Bernice will stand there with him. It is a terrible thing to sin against God, to trample God's truth underfoot. Sin once embraced will be with you forever unless you find deliverance through the atoning blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you who Bernice is. Bernice is your besetting sin that you carry to church every Sunday. If my besetting sin is covetousness, Who's coming to church? Vijay and covetousness. If your besetting sin is gossip, who's coming to church? Example. Example, okay. Harleen 
and gossip. If your besetting sin is pornography, secret sin, nobody nobody sees. What is, who's come to church? You and pornography. Your besetting sin is anger. Who's come to church? You and anger. Anger, burnness is that besetting sin who sticks to you and goes to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Tuesday, every Bible study, whatever it is, because you don't want to get rid of that. That is burnness. And you know what you call her? She is my sister. Who is Bernice? She is my sister. I mean, I've seen it in many Christian relationships. Young people, when they meet. Who is she? Or she is just like my sister. Aha. Sister. Just like my sister. Really? Are you sure? What do you bring to church? You and Madam Bernice. They come with you. That is your besetting sin. And you will never get rid of it. Proverbs chapter 7. This is interesting. You know what? God talks about this. This is very interesting. Especially in the area of sexual immorality. Look at what it says in Proverbs chapter 7. My son, keep my words. Treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live. And my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, what? You're my sister. And call understanding your nearest kin. Not Bernice. Not Bernice. Who's your Bernice? Everybody has a Bernice. Very close. Sticking to you like your brother or your sister. And you call her just your sister. That they may keep you from immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. You know, I used to remember my mentor when we were growing up in the university. He looked at, he used to look at us and say, you know what, Vijay? All of you. All of you. Be very careful in your relationship with the opposite sex. Very careful. The two areas every man of God will be tested in the area of money and in the area of your relationship with the opposite sex. Two areas. You know how it will start off? It will start off like a sister. It will end up in the bed. Be very careful. Very careful. I was listening to James Stewart the other day. Oh, powerful man of God. No? You know what he says? He's about 60, 70 years old, 65 years old. Like, great, a great guy. You know what he says? Every time a female student enters into my office, I keep the door open. Because whenever somebody comes into the room, my burnness comes along with me on my side. Right there trying to tempt me. They are right there. Bernice enters. Closely behind. So even if the door by mistake gets closed, I'd ask my secretary, anytime a female student enters into my room, ask her, please open the door and keep it ajar. Please. You know why? Because I don't want to even give anybody an appearance of evil. Think about it. You know why these men of God are successful? Because they have drawn lines and they are very careful about their bonuses. 
Who's your bonus this morning? Young people, who's your bonus? What are you watching? In the secret of your closet. What is the substance that you're taking? When you're thinking that nobody is watching and you think that you're fooling your mother and your father. God is not mocked. There is an inexorable law called sowing and reaping. Whatsoever a man sows, that's exactly what he's going to reap. Whom are you calling? Who are your friends? Can you be transparent? Can you keep the door ajar? I remember once some, one man of God told me, you know, he says, he was telling in the sermon, he said, whenever you're working in the office, keep your computer facing the door and the window and open it and keep it so that everybody can watch what you're doing. So that you keep yourself from your burners. Otherwise your burners will be there with you all your life and you will never get rid of it and you will take that burners to hell along with you. Do you have a bonus, my dear brothers and sisters? So if you have a daughter, don't call her bonus. Acts chapter 26. What does Paul do to this man? Paul said, I am not out of my mind, Festus, but I am speaking the true and rational words. For the king knows, now he turns to Agrippa and, and, and Bernus, and the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner, like he does things in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Suddenly, you know, somebody, he is asking him a personal question. I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in such a short time you want to convert me to Christianity? Enough. So many, so many messages are enough. See, such a short time only. You know what he says? Whether short or long, I would to God that all of you be like me except in my chains. And I remember, remember, remember D.L. Modi? Brother Modi, your messages have no grammar. Grammar or no grammar, I will hammer the word of God. That's what he said. In such a short time. In a, you know what? This is the Agrippa spirit. What is the Agrippa spirit? Oh, uh, see, you need to bring teachers who understand my situation. Uh, you are all elderly people. Bring youngsters who have overcome sin, we will listen to them. Suddenly one young man will come. This is what I was. I was struggling with this sin and I overcame. Oh, no, 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 no. His parents were there. It was very good parents he had. Not such nice family background and they, he had such a support system and therefore he was able to overcome. No, no, bring somebody else who is having very, very bad, bad background. Only then I will believe. So another fellow comes with a terrible background, picked off from the streets. Ex- or because of his background, he had no other way to go. Therefore he accepted Christ. Bring somebody else. We are not satisfied. Oh, pastor is too young. I don't want to listen to him. Pastor is too old. I don't want to listen to him. Pastor is neither young nor old. I don't want to listen to him. Oh, let them bring some lady who understands my situation. I will listen to her. That is Agrippa. I want people who will empathize with my situation. 
not people who will speak the truth. Luke chapter 7, verse 31 onwards. And the Lord said, to what then shall I liken this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned for you and you did not weep. For when John the Baptist came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine, you say he is a demon. And the son of man came eating and drinking, you say he is a glutton, a wine-babber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. One man of God gives a very interesting example. He says, you know what, those days they had only two, two, only one entertainment. What was it? Marriage. Marriage was going on for seven days. So during marriage they had a lot of gala time, nice music they used to play. And the other event, either it was a marriage or there was a death. During death, they used to play the dirge. So, whenever they used to go to the marketplace, there used to be these guys over there who used to play music. Flute. You know, I'll play some wedding music, okay? Some Dilwale Dulhaniya le jayenge. Some music will be going on. Okay. No, 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 no. That music we don't like. Play something else. Oh, we'll play some sad music. What does it mean? It's like this, no? You play with children. Have you ever played with children? They'll have several toys. Several children will come to you, uh, will, be, will be there and there'll be one elderly person. Okay, okay, I want to play with you. Let us play with this toy. No, 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 we don't want to play with this toy. Let us play with this guitar. No, 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 we don't want to play with this guitar. Uh, let us play, with, let me read a book for you. No, 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 uh, we don't want to read a book. Let us play hide and seek. No, 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 we don't want to play hide and seek. What do you want to see, Baba? We want to see cartoon. That is Agrippa and Burnus. They will be, never be satisfied. They, you don't understand my situation. You know why I have this Burnus along with me? You know my wife? Terrible headache. That is the reason why Burnus is there. You justify your sin and you will never change because you will always find justification for your sin. Why? Why? Because you don't want any music because you want your kind of music. Why? Because we love our burners and we don't want to get rid of him. How many of you have burners in your life and such a close friendship you have with that burners and you don't want to ever give up that burners? Finally, we'll come to this man, Paul the Apostle. Let us start off with this man. How does he start off? Acts chapter 24. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience unto this day. At this high priest, at this, the high priest ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who are standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest. For it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Knowing that for many years, okay, sorry. What is this? What is this man? Who is this man? This man is a man who has got a clear conscience before God. You know, it says in the book, in Proverbs chapter 28 verse 1, the righteous are what? 
bold as a lion and the wicked run when no man is pursuing them. This man has got a clear conscience with God. Clear conscience. And he always strives to have a clear conscience with God. Think about it. Just think about it, this man. Just think about it for, for a minute. How did he start off? Saul. What was he doing? Killing Christians. Whom did he kill? Stephen. And he saw Stephen. And after that, something happened to him. And then he was encountered by Jesus and he, his life changed. And after that, he was living at two courts. There is always two courts. There is one human court and there is one heavenly court. You look at the entire cases of Paul. He is brought to court. Every court declares him innocent or guilty. Tell me. Innocent. Nobody is able to find any sin inside of him. Why? And he says, you know what? I strive to keep a conscience clear with God and with man. I have nothing against man. I have nothing against God. All the days of my life, I have striven to keep a conscience clear with God and with man. And therefore, I'm, I don't have to fear anything. That is Paul. That is Paul. Now, tell me something. Is this possible in the New Testament? Is this possible in the New Testament? Look at what it says. In Hebrews chapter Hebrews chapter uh, 10. One second, please. Let me find out for you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 onwards. Therefore, brothers, since we have a, we, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through the flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from a evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What does it mean? It means, Romans chapter 8 verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but give him up, gave him up for us all, how will he not with him also give us graciously all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ. Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised from the dead. Who is it? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? What does it mean? It means one thing. It was Paul. It was no longer Saul. There was a story about uh, a saint called Augustine. Very famous uh, forefather of the Christian forefather. He wrote a book called Confessions. This man was living an absolutely debaucherous lifestyle. Absolutely debaucherous lifestyle. And one day, he comes to Christ. Okay? He has a radical experience. He's transformed by the power of the gospel. And one day, he's walking on the streets. And there is one of his ex-girlfriends walking from the other side. And she looks at Augustine and says, Augustine, how are you? And he doesn't even look at her. He just walks past her, ignoring her. And she's stunned. She's shocked. And she, he turns back and he says, she says, Augustine, my man, it is I. And she, he turns back and he says, I know my lady, but it is no longer I. 
finished. Case closed. You know what? Paul lived in that reality. Yes, he persecuted the church. Yes, he struck down innocent people. Yes, he killed Stephen. But he experienced the power of the gospel and he had a clear conscience with God. And he said, you know what? If a sinner like I can have a clear conscience, you can also have a clear conscience with God. Look at what he says in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. Therefore, if any man, any man, any man or anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new and it is so true in his life. And he says, you know, look at me. Look at me. I am the proof. I am the proof. Clear conscience before God and man. First Corinthians chapter 15. Look at what he says. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be even called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So you should be having a guilty conscience, no? Look at what he says. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God which was in me. This man, he lived in this tension. He said, you know what? I am no longer Saul. I am Paul. What does it mean? What does it mean? Paul, the little chota fellow. Paul. Absolutely bold. You know why? Because he has a clear conscience with God and a clear, clear, clear conscience with man. Nothing in his heart toward God and toward man. Ask yourself this question. How is your conscience today? Does your conscience prick you? Do you really have a tender conscience? How is your secret life? Ephesians chapter 3 verses 7 and 8. Look at what he says. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the Gentiles, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know what he's saying? I've been given the privilege of the of preaching to the Gentiles even though I was the, I'm the least of all the saints. Why was he, why, what did he consider the least of all the saints? Because he knew that he persecuted the church. 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, verse 15 onwards. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason. That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. A man who lived before God and before man with a clear, perfect conscience. This morning, do we have a clear conscience with God? Second Corinthians chapter 1 actually, this is chapter 1 verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 12. For I, for our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity. Not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. You see, the greatest gift that you can have in the new covenant is a clear conscience with God. I'll end with this example. The Jewish festivals, they had seven festivals. 
And one of the festivals was called the Day of Atonement. Remember? Day of Atonement. Okay? What is the Day of Atonement? Day of Atonement once a year. Once a year, the high priest with all his garments will go into the most holy place. But before he goes into the most holy place, first he will offer sacrifice for his sins and then he will represent the sins of the people. Every year, once every year. Next year, again. Next year, again. Next year, again. But was his conscience clear with God? No way. It was impossible. Why? It's like this. Sister Anne is here. Imagine one day, I went to Sister Anne. I said, Sister, I need one lakh rupees loan. Okay. One lakh, I will return it. Uh, Today is what? 28th uh, October, Sister. 27th October 2019, I will return it to you. Sure. Yes, Sister, with interest. Not too much interest. 10% interest. Okay. Write a contract. Both of us wrote a contract. We brought witnesses also and we signed the contract. 27th October by night 000. Vijay said he will transfer by IMPS into my account. 1 lakh plus 10% interest. But in the heart of hearts, she knows Vijay is not able to do. He is not capable of doing that. But anyway, she writes a contract. So, October 15th has come. Still the money has not come back. 25th, 26th. And she calls me. Vijay, tomorrow is the last date. You know that, right? Do you have the money? Uh, sister, uh, I'm sorry, sister. So I couldn't save. Uh, sister, can you give me one more year? One more year? Okay. Come back tomorrow. Same witnesses. We'll make the contract again. Okay, sister. Very, very happy. So go next year again with uh, witnesses and then a fresh contract. She tears off the new, the old contract and she makes a new contract. By this time, next year, he is going to give me one lakh plus interest. The interest is only increasing. You know the principle of compound interest, right? Who, st- who started it? The Jewish people started it. Okay. So that is increasing and increasing and increasing exponentially. So again the next year, she calls me exactly 27 night before. Uh, Pastor, double naya, yo sister, leu. Don't worry, we'll make a contract. That's exactly what the high priest did for four thousand years. Year after year after year, he would renew the contract that he's going to pay for his sin. But his guilt is never removed. And then comes Jesus. What is your problem? So much of debt is there. Double live. No problem. Once and for all. It says in the book of Colossians chapter 2. He took the handwriting of the ordinances that was against you and he nailed it to the cross and he removed it out of his out of the way and he being the eternal priesthood of the order of Melchizedek took his own blood and he paid for your sins once and for all and you can go with a clear conscience you know how did that happen 
How did that happen? You know how it, how it happened? He is brought to the Sanhedrin for his defense. Everybody is asking him, are you the son of God? Are you the son of God? Are you the son of God? He is not answering any of their, of their questions. False witnesses come, they are asked, they are accusing him of all kinds of things they are not able to prove. And finally the high priest gets up. You know what he says? I charge you in the name of God, tell me if you are the son of God. And because he is the high priest, he opens his mouth and he says, yes, I am the son of God. And you will see the son of man coming with the angels. You know what the high priest does? Anybody knows? He tears his robe. You know what? The high priest was never supposed to tear his robe. You know what happened at that time? The Aaronic priesthood moved from Aaron, moved from the Levite and onto Jesus. And he became the eternal high priest. Finished. He tore his garment. And from that time onwards, it was not Aaron. It was Jesus, the eternal high priest of the order of Melchizedek. Now he goes to the heavenly places and he offers his own blood. And that's the reason why we sing that song, right? Your blood speaks a better word than all the empty claims made upon this earth. Speaks righteousness for me. Stands in my defense. Jesus, it's your blood. What can wash away my sins? What can make me whole again? It is nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This was a man who was under the blood of Jesus. And his conscience was absolutely clear. And he was absolutely bold. That is Paul. You know why? Because he experienced the power of the gospel. That is the reason why it says, yesterday's sister also was teaching us about the blood. And you know what it says in Revelation chapter 14 verse 11, if I'm right, it says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives even unto the death. Why did they not love their lives? Because there was no fear of death anymore. Their conscience is clear before God and before man. And it's absolutely possible to have, you know what, if I die now, I'll be in heaven. That is the confidence that they have. If I die now, I will be in heaven. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? Now tell me, which court do you live before? Do you live, live before man's court or do you live before heavenly, heaven's court? If you are justified in heaven's court, all the people in the world can bring slander after slander after slander after slander after gossip after gossip. That's exactly what happened to Isaac. Slander after slander after slander. But he moved on and he moved on and he moved on. And scripture says he became prosperous, more prosperous and more and more and more prosperous. You know why? Because he had a clear conscience with God. It was no longer Isaac. It was Jesus Christ who was living through him. That is Paul. A man who was living under the power of the gospel. This morning, this morning, my dear brothers and sisters, who are you? Are you Felix, the procrastinator? Are you Festus, the rationalist? Are you Agrippa and Bernice? Are you the religious crowd? The religious crowd who believes on their own righteousness. It is a satanic, demonic thing to believe in your own righteousness. I'll tell you who hated Jesus. It was not the sinner. It was not the tax collector, the religious class who trusted in their own righteousness. They hated Jesus. And every other religious system which is based upon works hates Jesus. Are you depending upon your works? Are you depending upon your own righteousness? Or have you confessed to God every secret sin even today? You are able to confess every secret sin and you can walk away from this place with a clear conscience, with God and with man, without any fear of condemnation. That is the reason why the psalm writer, the hymn writer will say, no condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head. And clothed in righteousness divine. 
bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love. How can it be that thou my God should die for me? Who are you? Are you Paul with a bold conscience, a clear conscience with God and with man? You can have a clear conscience. That is the glory of the gospel that you can receive forgiveness of sins. It says if you confess, he is faithful and just and the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you from all unrighteousness and he will give you a right standing with God. There is no guilt, no shame, boldness with God, boldness with man and you can boldly confess your your past and you say this is exactly what I was. There's no shame about my past. You will be like that woman who was at the well. You will leave your pot, run to the people and say, you know what? I have met the Messiah. He knows my past. I don't have to fear. There's no shame because all my guilt is removed. It was not Paul. It was Paul, not Saul. What are you today? Do you have your bonus? A lot of people with their bonuses. It's burning. It says in Romans, uh, Proverbs chapter 7, can anybody take fire in their bosom and their clothes not be burnt? You're playing with fire, my dear brothers and sisters. Burnus is close to you and burnus will take you to hell if you don't deal with that. My burnus, it doesn't matter if I'm a preacher of the word of God. If I don't deal with my burnus, I will burn in hell. It doesn't matter. The last day, it, God says, I don't know you. I did not, did I not prophesy? Lord, I preached from GDC pulpit, Lord. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Are you giving excuses? I need more proof. Why do you need more proof? Are you justifying your sin? You want to continue on your lifestyle? You need more proof? In such a little time, I should be converted into a Christian. Oh. You're just procrastinating. Holy Spirit says, today if you've heard his voice, do not harden your heart. Can we all stand this evening, this morning? Just, just let's stand in the presence of the Lord. Gospel is the power of God into salvation. To bring you out from darkness into light. From the power of Satan to the power of God. So that you may receive forgiveness of your sins. No matter what sin that you committed in your, in the past, even this week, even the morning, even last night. You can set it right with God this morning. And God will say. See, you have been made whole. Go and sin no more. And he will give you the power to overcome sin. But unless and until you have a clear conscience with God, you can never overcome sin. I, I, I know, I mean, I, I'll just, just, just end with this example. I know so many people in the church, in this church, you know, they're messed up. They will never ask for forgiveness. But instead of Asking for forgiveness, they will do a lot of religious works to cover up their sin. But you know what? All this religious works, absolute dead works. They have to go back to the place where they have messed up and set things right with God and come back. Over and over again, we have the same message preached. I don't know why God is preaching this, uh, sharing this with, uh, with all of us this morning. I don't know. Many people have their bonuses whom they're bringing along with them to church and they're not dealing with it. Maybe it's in their offices. Some money that you have to return to somebody and you don't, you conveniently forget. That's your bonus. And you're not even making an attempt to return that money. That's your bonus. Don't ever think that you will have a clear conscience with God. It says in Psalm 37, a wicked borrows and never repays. But the righteous man 
lends freely. Not because of his own strength, it is because God blesses him to be a blessing to others. This morning, set things right with God. Just spend a few moments in prayer and say, Lord, you know my bonus. You know my excuses. You know, Lord, I'm justifying my sin. You know areas in my life where I've compromised. Father, I pray, Father, for your children this morning. What a privilege in the gospel, O Lord, that we don't have to sin. We don't have to walk in condemnation. We don't have to walk in guilt. That we can have a clear conscience with God and with man. Because you paid up for our sin. And many of us trying in our own strength to make ourselves right with you. And Lord, it is impossible. We will forever be trying. And we will always fall short of the glory of God. And I pray this morning. That even as we are here in the house of the Lord. I pray for all of us this morning, O Lord. I pray that you would touch each one of us. Father, the things that we are hiding, we want to bring it to light. Father, we want to put boundaries around ourselves. We want to become accountable. We want to live a holy life. We don't want to trust in our own strength. We want to flee every form of wickedness. We want to flee temptation. And we want to pray. Lead us not, Lord, into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Enable us, Lord, Father, to deal with our burnaces. Enable us to burn them, Lord. Let us lay aside every besetting sin this morning. Let us lay it at the foot of the cross. Let let us lay our burdens at the foot of the cross. What a glorious exchange. You who do not know sin, you became sin for us. So that through you, We can become the righteousness of God. You became a curse for us. So that we can earn the blessing of Abraham. The promise of the Holy Spirit. So that we can overcome sin in our lives. We don't have to live this life. But Lord we are so full of our own strength. Break us this morning. Break us. Break Lord. We want to surrender oh Lord. We want to surrender. This morning just raise your hands. And just surrender. Just raise your hands. Whoever is led, don't have to do it just for my sake. Just, just spend a few moments in God's presence and just confess in your, even in your own heart. Just don't let this go by. Let this, this not be just another sermon. It's possible to live a holy life. It is possible to walk in holiness. It is possible to walk with a clear conscience with God and with man. It is possible. It is possible to be like Apostle Paul. Even though he messed up, his past never hindered him from serving God. Because he knew what he was in Christ, a new creation. New creation. All things have passed away and everything has become new. Lay aside every weight. Lay aside every burden. Hide yourself under the wings of the Almighty. Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide.
myself in thee. Father, this morning, we just commit ourselves to your kind hands once again. I commit your church, O Lord. Father, you know our sin. Nothing is hidden from your sight. Lord, you said your word is like a double-edged sword. It divides the soul and the spirit, discerns the thoughts and the intents of our heart and lays everything naked before you. We can't hide from the look of our Savior. Father, search us. Try us. See if there is any wicked way in us and lead us in the way of everlasting life. Grant us grace to that end, we pray. Touch every one of us, O Lord. Touch, Lord. So many of them struggling with sin. Defeated. Father, let them be sick and tired of their sin, O Lord. Let them come to the end of themselves. They're still trying to justify and cleanse themselves in their own strength. It is impossible, O Lord, unless they come to the end of themselves, O Lord. Lord, bring us to the end of ourselves, O Lord. Break us. Break us, O Lord, so that we can see you face to face. Have a clear conscience with you and with man. Thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. We thank you for this time that you blessed us with. Father, let this word penetrate into the deepmost parts of our inner man and cause us to walk in your ways. Father, let the enemy not steal the word from our hearts. Let it bear fruit in our lives, even a hundredfold. A hundredfold fruit of repentance and a fruit of obedience that comes from faith. And a harvest of righteousness and holiness. And a harvest of souls in our lives, O Lord. Father, extend our territory to the left and to the right. Oh, Father, like Jabez, O Lord, we speak that into our lives, that we will be a blessing and we will no longer be a pain to anybody, O Lord. Father, extend our territory, O Lord, to the left and to the right. Bless us to be a blessing to many, O Lord, Father, that there will be a harvest of righteousness and a harvest of souls for eternity in our lives, O Lord. Grant us a genuine burden and release us into the vineyard with boldness, Father, proclaiming the gospel because we are a people who are under the blood and we will overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony and we will not love our lives even until death. O Father, we thank you, Father. We praise you. O Father, we bless your holy name this morning, O Lord. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.